All right. How you guys doing? Uh, thanks, Trev. That was a good uh, <laughs> little, little mini-sermon action there. Um, well, I hope you guys are doing well. It, it's been a little while since I've been able to preach um, in a setting like this. Uh, the last time I preached was online only, and then before that I haven't preached since before Thanksgiving, I think. So uh, it's a joy to be able to just, you know, walk through some scripture with you guys and, and learn the Word of God together. So uh, if you've been with us, you know that we're going through the Lord's Prayer as our sermon series. Um, we, each week we're kind of digging into one aspect of this prayer that Jesus models for us. And so uh, first we began with our Father, where, where Grant discussed our relationship with God as our Father. And, and last week we dug into the holiness of God, which it, it really is this kind of beautiful picture for us that God is both completely holy and perfect, and yet he is also our good Father. And uh, this week we're going to continue on in that prayer, continue on in the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to talk about God's kingdom. So uh, the scripture we're going we're gonna to go through is in Matthew 6, uh, verses 9 through 10. So it says this, Therefore you should pray like this, Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, so uh, this is kind of where we're going to land today. And um, before we pray and before we dig in, uh, I just want to throw a kind of question out to you guys, something to consider as we dig into this text. And that's this question, what makes a kingdom great? What makes a kingdom great? So, so think on that as we dig into this text today. Um, we're going to pray and then we're going to kind of dig into what we're talking about for today. God, um, Lord, we just thank you that you've given us your word like this. Lord, that we get to uh, uh, read your word. God, you've taught us, um, you know, even how to pray. Lord, we thank you that we can gather together here, Lord, and, and study your word and learn from you, God, and, and hopefully learn more about who you are and, and really, as a result, be able to love you more and follow you more. God, you're so good to us. God, we love you and we thank you for loving us first. Let me pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so um, this prayer is, is, is Jesus' kind of model prayer for us. This is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, Jesus is teaching these people around him all kinds of truths about his kingdom, right? He, he's ultimately kind of trying to show them how God's ways are, are so different from our own. And so over and over again, he kind of is flipping their idea about uh, how uh, God's kingdom is on its head. And so like Grant had said in, in the couple other sermons that he had preached, this isn't really intended to be, like this prayer really isn't intended to be this plug-and-play format. It's not really intended to be something that is word-for-word word or recited like verbatim. Uh, there's, there's nothing wrong if you do that or, or whatever, uh, but I don't think that that was Jesus' intent. In fact, just before this, Jesus is teaching these people how not to pray uh, and that they shouldn't be focused on uh, just kind of saying or reciting empty words. And so what we learn from that is that Jesus really isn't trying to get us to learn this prayer and memorize it and, and just recite it every single time we pray, but instead uh, to kind of learn something about the types of things that we're supposed to pray, right? And so this is this model prayer that Jesus is teaching us. Uh, for this reason, we're going to be going through it phrase by phrase and, and just dissect what it is that Jesus is trying to teach us through the Lord's Prayer. And so today we're looking specifically at his prayer of your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
And it's scriptures like these that really led our church and our leadership to adopt the vision of God's eternal kingdom fully realized. And so today you're going to see a lot of these themes of, of already but not yet. And if you've been around for any amount of time, you've probably heard Grant say that before, this idea of already but not yet, that God's kingdom is already here and yet it's not yet complete. And so, uh, you know, like I said, in some sense it's already here, in some sense it's not yet complete, but our goal as a church is to seek to make our world as much like God's eternal kingdom as we can while waiting expectantly that he will return and he's going to finish the job. And so there are two overarching questions that we're going to examine today with regards to what Jesus is praying here. And so those questions are are as follows. The first is, what is God's kingdom like? And the second is, why is Jesus praying this? Okay? What is God's kingdom like and why is Jesus praying this? And so uh, as to the first, what is God's eternal kingdom like? In this prayer, uh, Jesus is inviting God's kingdom and inviting his will to be kind of here on earth just as it is in heaven. But in order to really dig in into that and understand what that would even be like, we ought to understand what God's eternal kingdom is like to begin with. How can, how can we ask God that that would be here on earth if we don't understand what that even means? And so uh, there's a ton that we could go into on this topic. I'd say there's a lot of scripture uh, that we could look at and a lot of you know, aspects or attributes of God's eternal kingdom that we could dig into. Um, Today, we're not going to be comprehensive in that. We're not going to cover every little aspect of God's eternal kingdom, but we are going to dig into three themes. We're going to look at three themes that I think broadly cover most things that we see in Scripture as it, as it regards to God's eternal kingdom. So three major themes. Uh, they all start with R, so a little bit of alliteration there. Hopefully that helps you remember these things. Uh, today, or I'm sorry, the first one is uh, relationship. The first R is relationship. And so it's this idea that we're going to see God in his fullness as our father and our king. And so uh, when we think about that, uh, the the scripture I thought of was in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 3. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea no longer existed. I also saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Relationship. So I think it can be really easy to to gloss over this. Hopefully not not too easy, but I think it it can be easy to to take this for granted, like that God wants a relationship with us. Um, But it's so important for us to understand this, and it's really important for us to understand and keep in mind, like, who exactly God is. Like the first two uh, weeks of this sermon series where Grant talked about God as our Father and God as holy, I think are so important to keep in mind when we consider what God's kingdom is like. Like the almighty creator of the universe, who's completely perfect, who's completely good, who's holy. That's the same God that's going to be our Father for all eternity. He's the same God that we get to dwell with. And I think for me, the longer I walk with Jesus, the easier it is to take things like God's holiness for granted. Like when I first started to follow Jesus, I would say that that kind of blew me away. That like, wow, like God, the eternal God of the universe, the creator of the world wants a relationship with me. That's crazy. And that blew me away for a long time. Like the first, I don't know how long that I had been following Jesus. That was like every day I'd wake up and be like, I can't believe this. This is, this is wild. This is crazy. 
And I think the longer I follow Jesus, the more I take that for granted. But this God, the God of the universe, it's the same God that's pleased to dwell with us for all eternity, to dwell with us as his people, to to be among us as our father and our king. And I think, you know, we're going through these three themes of of God's eternal kingdom. Uh, I would say this one is the most important, the, the relationship theme. Because I think more than anything, this idea is far and away the most important and greatest part about the eternal kingdom. It's that God is going to be there. God's going to be there. He's going to be there in his fullness. I think about the psalmist and how he says, whom have I in heaven but you, God? This idea that scripture teaches over and over again is that, like, think about it. If, if all of our family and friends were with us uh, in eternity, were with us in heaven forever, but God wasn't there, it would be a tragedy. I mean, if all of us were able to be in heaven and we had our sin completely removed from our lives and there was no more pain, and if that were possible without God being there with us, it would be a tragedy. That's the idea that the scriptures teach us. That God is that good. That God is that crazy incredible. I mean, think of your best idea of what eternity would look like and subtract God from that existence and it would not be good. It would not be good. And that's really difficult for us to imagine because a lot of those things are good, right? Like, you know, you'd want your your friends and family to be there and you would want to not have to deal with sin and pain and struggle anymore. And yet if God's not there, it's not good. The word teaches us that God is so much greater than we can imagine, that, that he supersedes all of our greatest ideas of what eternity will be like. And really that apart from him, the eternal kingdom would be quite empty. So our, our relationship with God, it's so important. That's going to be the most important part about eternity. And some of you may be thinking, uh, but Kyle, we get to have a relationship with God right now. And, and I would say, you are so right. <laughs> You are so right. And you're going to hear this theme, like I said, you're going to hear this theme over and over again of already but not yet. Like we already get to enjoy having a relationship with the God of the universe here on earth. Right? If we've placed our faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, we get to start having a relationship with God now. We get to walk with him now and that's so good and joyful. Like there is nothing better. Like all of the best moments of my life have involved my relationship with Jesus without exception, walking with him daily, pursuing him with my life. There's nothing better than that. And yet, while we're invited into a relationship with God, while we're here on earth, we still don't get to see him in his fullness. Not yet. Uh, This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. For now we see indistinctly as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. And so Paul describes our experience with God here on earth as seeing God like dimly through a mirror. But he rejoices that that, that soon he's going to see God face to face. And then he's going to know God fully, just like God knows us fully already. 
And that verse gives me so much hope because, you know, as we continue in this sermon, you're going to be reminded over and over again that, that life on earth is not complete. Uh, and that's difficult. And I mean, weekly, there's something that I'm like struggling with, I feel like, whether that's just, I don't know, my physical body, you know, I'm getting older, uh, whether it's just uh, difficulties in relationships, things like that. And in the midst of all of that, in the midst of kind of just being a part of this broken world, it's my relationship with God that keeps me afloat. And I love walking with God right now. But also, I look forward to how that relationship will be made more complete soon. And then I'll get to see God face to face. So I look forward to that day. So the, the first theme of God's eternal kingdom is relationship. Like I said, that one's the longest. The second theme is, is this, representation. Representation. So uh, in Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10, it says this. After this, I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were robed in white with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And so uh, in this passage, these are just believers that kept their faith in Christ even during the, the tribulation period. And, um, you know, but that's not the only place that, that God talks about how uh, all peoples will be represented in his kingdom, right? It's, it's all throughout Revelation. It's all throughout the Bible. This phrase of every uh, nation, tribe, people, and language is present. And so what we see from this is that God cares about all people from every country, from every uh, uh, people group and culture uh, that speak every kind of language. And as a result, all people groups are going to be represented in his kingdom. And, and so again, this is, a, this is an area that we see that this is in some ways already true and in some ways not yet true. Like, like it's already true that, you know, Christianity is not uh, uh, like an American thing, right? Does that surprise some of you? <laughs> like, Christianity and, and people, the people of God, the church, are, are represented in all kinds of countries all over the world. Like that's already true, and yet this work is not finished. Uh, there are people groups in the world that if Jesus returned today, would not be represented in his eternal kingdom. They're unreached. The gospel has either not been shared in these people groups uh, or it has not been received. And, and that's a huge issue. Uh, that's an issue that really breaks my heart. I think the Lord has really broken my heart a lot over the past few years for the nations. I just hate the idea that there are people in the world that may live and die and never hear about Jesus. That's awful. There is something deeply wrong with that. That should upset you. And I hate it because, because God has changed my life so dramatically. Like he has completely uprooted my life and, and, and changed everything about what I care about and who I am. And so the reality is, and this is difficult, um, that we are all deserving of God's wrath apart from the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. So it is a major issue that there are people all over the world that have not uh, been exposed to the gospel. 
And so we have a lot of work to do here. Like, like as the church, as the big C church, all Christians everywhere, but also as our local body of Christ, we have a lot of work to do here. We are part of God's family and we have a responsibility to, to work hard at making sure every person has repeated opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel. And so that's the second theme of God's eternal kingdom, representation. So we've got relationship, we've got representation, and the third one is restoration. Uh, this is in Revelation 21 as well. It just kind of continues that passage that we read earlier. Um, where it's talking about God dwelling with his people, and it says this in verse 4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer, because the previous things have passed away. And so something we see present in God's eternal kingdom is restoration. Uh, and that means, you know, part of that is that we'll, we'll have new bodies um, and we'll live forever with God and his kingdom. Uh, but part of that restoration also is that we'll no longer have pain in our world, no longer have grief, suffering. Uh, death won't exist anymore. We'll get to live forever with God in a kind of perfect unity, free from the stain of sin, both on ourselves and on our world. Like, that's what God's kingdom is like. And this week, I would say this has been especially hopeful for me. Hopeful. Uh, to be honest with you guys, I would say there have been a lot of just difficult ministry experiences this week, which I think happens when, when you love Jesus and you're following him, and then you also love people, and then those people are suffering. I would say that results in difficult ministry experiences. And uh, this week, that's been really hard for me. Right? Like, I hate it when I struggle with sin. I hate seeing loss in the lives of my friends. And, uh, you know, when I think about this reality of, of, of God wiping away sin and pain and death, that gives me hope. It's like, man, this week's been rough, but someday this stuff isn't going to exist anymore. And, and that helps me to press on. To, to look forward to God's kingdom. One day, if we're in Christ, like if you believe in Jesus, we're going to be made whole and there's not going to be any pain and suffering anymore. And that's a day that I look forward to. And so uh, the last theme of God's eternal kingdom is restoration. So those are the three. We've got relationship, we've got representation and restoration. Those are the three things that I see as major themes as it pertains to God's eternal kingdom. And so the second question that I wanted to dig into tonight is why is Jesus praying this? Um, and I don't really have the full answer to that because I think there's something uh, there to be said about Jesus praying this, and I'll explain what I mean. We know that God's kingdom will come. Like God has promised this, right? And so we know that his will is going to be done here on earth as it is in heaven someday. And so in some sense, it's like, why is Jesus asking this? Right? Why is he asking this if he, I mean, he, better than anyone, knows that this is coming. And I don't know the full answer to that because I think that there's something to us inviting uh, God to do the things that he already said that he's going to do. Um, I don't fully understand that, but I would say one reason that I, I think that Jesus is doing this is because he's modeling this prayer for us. Like, even though we know that God's kingdom is inevitably coming, what we find as we pray this, if we pray it sincerely, is that we're inviting God into our lives. 
and we're inviting his kingdom to be here among us. And we're inviting him to shape our wills to be like his own. And I think really this is kind of a prayer of submission, right? Jesus is modeling what it looks like to submit to God's will. And so, what would it look like to invite God's kingdom to be among us, to seek his will as our own? What would that look like? And uh, there's a lot to say about that. And so, honestly, the first thing I thought of was, I would say a good litmus test to ask yourself uh, is, what would really be different if you didn't know Jesus? And if the answer is nothing, I would say that's a problem. If your life looks remarkably similar to how it would look anyway if you weren't a Christian, then I would wonder whose kingdom it is that you're building. If comfort is a major consideration when considering how to live your life, I would ask yourself, whose kingdom is it that you're really interested in building? Whose will is it really that you're following? Because I don't know that that's God's. Jesus calls us to complete surrender. And he doesn't just call us to complete surrender, but he models it for us. He models it for us in this prayer, and he models it for us with his life. His whole life was in complete submission to God, complete submission to the Father. I think about his prayer in the garden. He says this just before he's crucified. He prays, my Father, If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Okay? And so Jesus knew he was not going to enjoy taking on the wrath of God for all humanity. Right? He knew that that was not going to be an enjoyable experience for him. And yet, he chose to do it anyway. And I think part of that is his submission to the will of the Father. And part of that is his love for us. Right? Like we know that For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And so for us, as a church, as as God's people, how can we follow Jesus in this? How can we learn from Jesus' submission to the kingdom of God and to the Father's will? Because that's, that's kind of what I'm seeing here in this prayer. He's modeling for us what it looks like to invite God's will into our lives. And so, looking at those three R's, we've got relationship, representation, and, and uh, restoration again. And so, what does it look like to submit to God's will as it pertains to our relationship with Christ? I mean, on a daily basis, who or what is it that you're really seeking or desiring? I mean, when you wake up in the morning, what's at the forefront of, front of your mind? Right? And how can you kind of get that to submit to Christ. Because I think for most of us, that's not going to be Jesus. You're probably not going to roll out of bed and think immediately about Christ. And do we guard and prioritize our intimacy with the Father? Like, do we carve out time for prayer because it's important? Do we carve out time to really dwell with God and enjoy his presence? Our intimacy with God is everything. It's what Christ died for, right? He died so that we could have a relationship with God. So that we could know him and walk with him. 
you know, right now our relationship with God is not complete. Soon we will see him face to face. But, you know, if we put our faith in Christ, we are given the spirit so that we can walk closely with our God. So when we think about God's will in heaven, what is God's will in heaven for our relationship with him? And how can we submit to that? Like imagine what God's will for you is once you're dwelling with him for all eternity. And what can we do to make our lives look more like that? How can we submit to the representation that Jesus calls us to seek? This is the mission of God, right? There are people that God wants to have a relationship with all over the earth. And in the eternal kingdom, all kinds of people are going to be represented. But we aren't there yet. And, and I'm going to say this firmly, and I am confident that some of you in here are going to either tune me out or at least be a little upset about it. <laughs> we ought to prioritize the kingdom of God and the mission of God over our comforts and over our careers. And for a room full of people that are in college, that's not going to feel good. I understand that. <laughs> I would say a huge problem in America and in American church culture is that we have this tendency to add the mission of God to our lives as an afterthought, right? Like this is something that should drive our lives, should drive how, how we live and where we live and where our career is going to be. And instead, it's more like, how can I get the dream job and then find a church near there? I mean, I feel like I often encourage people to make sacrifices for God's kingdom that they're not going to be excited about. Um, maybe that's taking a job that's, again, not your dream job, not your ideal job, so that you can play a role in God's mission. Right? So that you can do missions uh, in some of these places. Maybe you could join a church plant. Like, like Trevor said, we're planning on, on going in fall of 2022. Consider that. Maybe it's taking a couple years after you graduate to go overseas and, and, and try to do missions in a place where people don't have free access to the gospel. Maybe it's giving up your summer to go and, and just grow in your walk with Jesus at something like LT instead of taking that sick internship. Right? Like, none of these are going to be career moves for you. I hope you're hearing that. Your, your advisors are not going to pull for these things. They might think you're a little crazy and also, honestly, they might think you're a little stupid. But the thing I keep coming back to is when I read the scriptures and when I read what God is like and what his kingdom is like and the calling that he places on our lives as Christians, if you prioritize your career and your comforts over the kingdom of God, you're crazy. Like that's crazy. I mean, you really read this book, the word of God, and, and, and think that, you can kind of add God in as an afterthought, add the mission of God in as an afterthought if you think that you're the crazy one. I hope that you understand that. Like, I'm not crazy for thinking this. I hope that you guys see that when you read the Bible, it's like, when you get to the end of your life, you're not going to be like, ah, I wish I'd taken that dream job. Right? You're not going to have regrets about spending some time overseas doing missions. You're not going to have regrets about taking like the second, third option so you can be, be a part of a church plant in a new place with a new need. 
Like, do you see that? You see how crazy it seems when you frame it like that? Like when you're standing before the God of the universe, are you really going to think, I really wish I'd taken that internship? I don't know, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, that's crazy. I, I don't know how you read this book and think that all God wants for, for, from you is to attend a church on Sunday and to go to a small group Bible study. Like, that's actually absurd. I mean, I get it. I, I hope you understand. I, I know not everyone's called to be an overseas missionary. Uh, it's, it's more the ethic there that, that I'm interested in. Are you really submitting your lives to the will of God? Are you really inviting in the kingdom of God like we're seeing in this prayer? And, and I just wonder, I mean, when we look at the average American, I mean, do we really think that it's like, I get it, not everyone's called to go overseas, but do we really think when we read the Bible that as few people are called to go overseas as we actually see in the American church? Doesn't that seem a little sus? <laughs> Like, I'm sorry, I don't know. Just, just consider, consider all of that. Consider how we can be a part of um, helping the kingdom of God really see that representation that we see in the scriptures. And then the last thing is this, uh, how do we submit to the restoration that has really already begun in us? The restoration we see in the eternal kingdom, but also there's a part of that has, that has already begun. Like soon we know that all sin and pain is going to be done away with. And we're already in some sense freed from sin. Like if you're in Christ, you've been made a new creation and like you don't have to walk in sin anymore. And so we ought to work hard at honoring God with our lives and seeking to be a righteous people. Seeking to be holy just as God is holy. Like we ought to work hard at removing sin from our lives and trying to make our lives match up with the restoration that we see in the eternal kingdom. Again, when we're inviting God uh, and his kingdom into our lives, that's the goal. We want to, to, to make our world look as much like God's eternal kingdom as we can. And our lives look as much like that as we can. We ought to work hard at that. Work hard at learning to love people well and learning to die to ourselves. Work hard at caring for those in need. As much as we can, we should seek to mimic the restoration we see in God's eternal kingdom. And so, you know, maybe you're seeing this theme, uh, this kind of summary of just, if we're submitting to God's will and really inviting his kingdom to come here on earth, just like heaven, I think that we're going to be seeking to make our world look as much like his kingdom as we can. Whether that's through inviting other people groups into his kingdom, or that's through seeking the deepest relationship we can here on earth with God. Whether that's uh, seeking to honor him with our bodies and seeking to uh, let God heal us by his spirit. And so, um, maybe you remember that question I asked you at the beginning. What makes a kingdom great? Hopefully you've been thinking about that some throughout this sermon. What makes a kingdom great? And I think the answer to that is a great king. A great king. I think that far and away is the most important thing in any great kingdom. Because when you have a great king and a people that know that great king, they will be willing to do anything for him. Right? Like all the great kingdoms of the world, if you've got a great king, you know, those 
Warriors on the battlefield will willingly die for the cause. If you've got a great king, the people under him are, are willing to, to spread that kingdom as much as they can and do the will of that king. And guys, we have the greatest king. I mean, when you read the scriptures and you read about God, there is no one greater. He's the greatest possible king. He's completely good, completely holy. When we stand before him, I mean, what we see in the scriptures is that all people are going to kneel before this king. Whether or not you received Jesus, you're going to kneel before him as king and you're going to know that he is good at the end of your life. And our prayer is that really that we would see that, believe that, and respond to it. I mean, because if we really understand just how good God is as our king, I think that all of this stuff about inviting his will into our lives, I mean, that's free. That's so easy. That, I mean, the people we see in the word that really had experiences with God, they were willing to give their lives for him with no question. And so my hope is that we would be people just like that, that seek to make uh, God's kingdom known here on earth, that seek to invite his kingdom here on earth. So uh, let's pray and then let's sing together. God, you're good. Lord, you're so good to us. And and God, we just ask that you would help us to, to see you as you are, to know you more fully as our king. And really to, to believe that you are who you say you are. God, help us to be people that willingly give of our lives. That know that you're worth it. God, you're worth so much more than we're, we're usually willing to give, Lord. God, let us have encounters with you that make that obvious. God, we love you so much. God, we thank you again for loving us first, for laying down your life for us so that we could be in a relationship with you. God, we don't deserve it. And we pray this in your name. Amen.